How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Waterfowl 365, presented by BTBN. I am your host, Chris Adams. Um, feel free to follow along with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. BTBN, that's where we announce all the podcasts, the call-making competitions, any type of live stream that we've done. It's always been on there, and you can check out all of that stuff. Our content lives forever on there. Um, if you want to get yourself a nice paperweight of a duck call, check out Unstable Calls. Um, yeah, make something nice to go on top of a stack of papers on your desk. Maybe kill a few ducks this season if it ever gets cold. That's the farthest fa- farthest thing from anybody's mind right now. We are in the dog days of summer. It's 95 degrees, but it's only realistically like four and a half, five months from really firing back up and, uh, It'll be here before we know it. Today I got another newer call maker on here. Um, He's really been making a lot of big waves this year with a little specialized call that he does and uh, just makes a really cool product. He's from Florida. He's been on uh, Riley's podcast here, I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago and uh, had some really cool stuff on there and I wanted to bring him on here as well and just uh, dig in a little bit deeper. So without further ado... Cody Law. Cody, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well, Chris. How are you? Oh, not too bad, man. Just another uh, sultry, summery day here in Missouri. You know, I was uh, crying about it being a little bit cold to go to the lake two weekends ago. It was like 78 for the high, and the water was still cold, and now it's supposed to be 99 here tomorrow. So, uh, you know, things have changed real quick-like. No doubt. It's hot down here, but it's been hot down here for at least a month now. It it stays hot down there, brother. I uh, I used to live about an hour and a half away from Pensacola, just uh, towards the Mississippi, like right at Mississippi-Alabama line, so I definitely know that heat. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It really doesn't get any better, and it's getting hotter and hotter during the wintertime. You know, we, we used to at least get a little bit of weather, you know, and have it down in the 30s and 20s you know and we still get that occasionally it's just not not that often and it just gets stifling hot during the day i i know sometimes you know on a, on a normal hunting day you could go out with you know full under armor and stuff in the morning and by the afternoon you're stripping down to shorts it's like a good old teal hunt up here in the uh you know up in the central part of the country Oh man, you go on a teal hunt down here. If you don't have a thermosel, they're gonna tote you away. <laughs> you know, state bird of Florida. For anybody who doesn't know, what part of Florida are you in, buddy? I'm in North Florida. I'm in Tallahassee, which is uh, you know the state capital. But it's it's um it's kind of centered up between Pensacola and Jacksonville. Uh, you know, right above Apalachicola, and we got some good fishing down in the Gulf of Mexico. Tallahassee's only about thirty minutes from there, and then uh, we've got several lakes around this area and a couple rivers that are that are you know good fishing and good duck hunting yeah man home of uh good old florida state buddy yeah that's us here it's, <laughs> it's crazy how how much this town revolves around uh well we got we got florida state we got fan 
and we got a, a really big community college here. Um, and then, of course, we got all the state work offices that are here as well. So it's a, a town that kind of revolves around college and state workers. Yeah, college cities, man, are uh, they're they're crazy with that type of stuff. It it seems like Columbia here in Missouri. Uh, you go down to like uh, uh, Fayetteville and Arkansas and stuff like that. College towns are always just so interesting, and I'm a big fan of that area down there. My uh, my brother lives in Clearwater, so you know quite a bit further south. But coming from Missouri, we're always crossing right through that area on our way down for vacation. And it's really funny because I always hit that Alabama-Florida line. Or I guess it'd be Georgia-Florida line. Um, right around, like, sunrise throughout the drive. And every time I'm out there, you know, you guys have all those big plantation houses with the trees and the and the flooded water. I'm like, man, this is a duck-killing freaking area. You know, it used to be a whole lot better than it has been the past five years. And even before my time... You know, I, I've heard some of the older fellows around here say that it was really good, especially in the 60s and 70s. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's definitely not as good as it has been before. Our lake levels are, are not as not what they used to be. Um, and honestly, with the plantations you're talking about, a lot of the guys that have bought the, the plantations around here recently have really jumped on a pretty good duck, duck program and started flooding cornfields and stuff. But unless you got some real deep pockets or get a get an invite, you're not you're not gonna go over there. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be anywhere that it's good. It's like that in every state that you go to. You know, people think of uh, you know Arkansas or Missouri. You know, I hear on a lot of podcasts and stuff like that, and I've said you know a bunch here in the last thirty seconds. But you hear Missouri, and you're like, oh man, Missouri. You know, that's one of the top mallard states. I'm like, dude. You could go hunt anywhere around me for, you know, pretty cheap. Most of the time, door knocking because this isn't the side of state for duck hunting. <laughs> you know, right? So yeah, I, I live on one of the larger lakes on this area, fifty-seven hundred acres, and uh, my side of the lake is pretty much islands, little little islands with open pockets in between all the islands, and so. Um, there's also a motor restriction on my lakes. You can't run a combustible motor. You can only have either a push pole or, or a trolling motor. So it kind of limits the amount of, of hunters on the lake um, just simply because there's only two public lakes on the whole, or two public ramps on the whole lake. So uh, in order to get to where I am, you got to put some work in to get back there, which is nice because I, I kind of almost have a, a, probably about a 400-acre area just about to myself, which is, which is real nice. Um, but... Uh, the problem with that is I live on the side of the lake that generally goes dry when it does go dry. So, so you know, it's it's good right now because we got a whole bunch of water. But this summer, if we don't get a lot of rain this summer, it'll be dry by next season. Hmm. What's what's the reason for them not allowing? Is it because it's like a, a drinking water for Tallahassee, or is it like you figure not having the motors and stuff out there would tear up all the vegetation? Well, you would think so, um, and, and honestly, a lot of it's politics in this area, um, but there are three main lakes in this area. Uh, two of them have motor restrictions. Another one, you can do whatever you want to with them. So it, you really got to pay attention to the rules around here. The, the, the two lakes that have the motor restrictions are the lakes that have the majority of plantations that surround them, and so we were always told that whenever all the waterfowl rules were made back in the 
40s, I believe, because these rules have been implemented since the 40s, um, that the plantation owners got around there and said, look, we want to we want to have our, our duck shooting, but we don't want to have people out here running around on the lake while, while we're doing it. You know, we want the ducks to be able to rest on the lake. So I, we were always kind of told that the plantation owners had a, had a big say in, in what the Fish and Wildlife made the rules by at that point. It makes sense, man. you got to follow the money trail just like anywhere else in life. Uh, whoever's paying the bills is going to have the most influence. Yeah, you know, in honesty, I, I don't mind it on my lake because it, it, I, I, I build little small layout boats. So hunting out of my layout boat makes it nice and easy. I'm concealed. I, I can get to pretty much everywhere on the whole lake that I want to get. Um, you know, and my buddies are hunting out of layout boats with me so we can just kind of all stack up together and... and you know, I don't like to say I don't mind it because it keeps people away from it. Because if you do go to the one lake that uh, that allows any motors, it's 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 crazy. People are people are out there running you over. You know. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, man. It's uh, well, it's like any big, you know, WMA in Arkansas, Missouri, any of those crazy videos you see of people just running the hell over each other. And it's like, you know, what are we doing here? This. <laughs> it's, it's getting dangerous it's not safe it, it gives everybody a bad look i'm the same way as you man if it's a if it's a crowded public spot i don't go the state of missouri has put a ton of money in i think they're they're one of the biggest wildlife management like uh, dollar resource states because something about our taxes where we get a an exorbitant amount of funds through our tax program but uh like they put they build up all these nice wmas and stuff like that but i won't go because people are crazy about it and we have so many other public lakes that aren't as good but it's like i would rather shoot you know six seven ducks with my buddies with nobody else competition wise no fighting no you know getting in fist fights over freaking spots versus going and shooting 16 with you know having to get there three hours earlier and you know stand outside for extra hours it's just i'm too old for that stuff and it's ridiculous uh, saying that oh uh, yeah me and my buddies are all the same way you know this, this uh we kind of call them the, the new gang the new bunch you know this new bunch they'll sleep out there overnight in their boat all night long you know and run around the lake all night long in the boats on the opening an opening night you know and, and man in an opening day they get all upset and they you see them at the boat ramp and they're frowny face and they're tired and they're like man i didn't even pull the trigger and i said well you know it's kind of funny because those ducks like to sleep at night and you're out there sleeping with them making all sorts of noise it's surprising <laughs> they, they wanted to wanted to leave you know i, I can't understand that at all <laughs> yeah well and you're so freaking far south man it's like people have no common sense it's like here opening day of season you know for the northern half of the state is like the first of november and our zone opens on thanksgiving and it doesn't get good around here until mid to late december so it's like you know we're gonna go out for opening week day just because it's opening day but other than that man it's like it doesn't get good for another month there's no point in staying up all night and doing all that type of crazy stuff we're, we're about the same way all us me and all my crew down here we're all in our our 40s and late 40s and so we're we're about the same way <laughs> I, I, honestly what we've kind of figured out is is we don't even get out there till about 9 or 9 30 now we'll, we'll just kind of slip out there about 9 or 9 30 and get set up and usually there's a flight between 10 and 12 and so 
once them all them boys are leaving and they're all getting off the lake, we're like, well, see y'all later. And they're looking at, they're looking at us like we're fools, you know, but we, we kill our limit and this, it works out pretty well. And, you know, well, you know, they don't, go ahead, buddy. Sorry. I was just going to say, well, what they don't know won't hurt them, I suppose. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, duck hunting is the, uh, you got to have a little bit of patience with it and i'm the same i'm like in between you know we get out there you know do the early morning and stuff like that once 9 nine thirty starts rolling around things start getting slow it's like you want to stay because you're already out here but everybody starts looking at each other and you hear a whole lot of well uh you know uh <laughs> breakfast burritos are sounding pretty good right about now and it's always uh all right guys 10 more minutes 10 more minutes everybody there's always one guy out of the group that's asking for 10 more minutes and everybody else is already unloading guns they're like okay well, well everybody's unloading guns and, that, and then that guy saying 10 more minutes has that one duck fly by and he drills it and then everybody starts loading the guns back up and they say all right we'll wait we'll wait <laughs> see we have a good hard rule in the group it's like as soon as my gun is unloaded i'm not reloading it i don't care if i see you know three piles pour into the spread once my gun's unloading i'm done because you know how many times just like you said there'll be a single or a pair something stupid like that you'll load up and you'll stay for another 30 minutes to do nothing yep it happens a lot more than i'd like to admit that's right man it's uh it's always the damned if you do damned if you don't so uh are you from that area originally you always been from tallahassee yeah, born and raised right here. I, I never left. I, I moved down to St. George Island, which is about an hour and a half away from here, south of us, uh, and framed houses in the in mid nineties. And but but moved right back here. My wife is from here. We went to high school together. Uh, she moved away and went to college. You know, went to California and New York and stuff. But she found her way back. That's pretty cool, man. It's always uh, it's always crazy to hear stories like that where people were in high school together and some somehow they find a way through man honestly we didn't even know each other in high school so so it, it was a real crazy experience so yeah it was it was funny that she happened to move back here and we happened to run across each other and honestly didn't even realize we went to high school together until about the third or fourth date no kidding it's probably better right yeah, worked out really well. She didn't say I was wild. <laughs> I always tell mine that if she would have met me in high school right after high school, she would have hated me because I was an asshole. <laughs> well, my wife was a good girl. She didn't even know about the cake parties that were going on or any of that stuff. So when I started talking about that, she had a real confused look on her face like, you mean people people had parties like that? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you weren't there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always good to know, man. You never... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you grew up there, man. What what was what was hunting like when you were a kid? Or did you get into it as a kid? Or well, I had gone a couple times. My dad was shot in the face when he was twenty three on a dove field. Holy crap! That's so common. Yep, he was in the it was it was a public dove field. He was in the bushes getting his stuff together, and a guy walking up to the field for some reason decided he was going to fire into the bush oh, and uh, drill my guy my dad on the face around his eye and pretty much walked up and just said he was sorry and left. It was really terrible. But but my dad was pretty much turned off from hunting for a long time from that. Uh, and then he decided he was going to try to start bow hunting deer, and he killed. He shot a couple and missed them and lost his air. He got sick with it and said, I, I, I just feel sick that I, that I lost those deer, so I, I can't do this anymore. So my dad got into trap shooting and skeet shooting. So I did a lot of that with him. 
uh, you know, just going up and shooting. Where there's a gun club just up the road from us here, and we would go up there and shoot traps and skeet all the time. I really didn't get into duck hunting until um, I duck hunted a little bit when I lived at St. George. There's some there's some good diver hunting down along the coastline along Appalachicola, but I didn't really get back into actually, you know, making boats and, and building blinds and you know decoy rigs and the whole bit till I moved out here. Uh, and built my house where I'm at now 18 years ago. Man, that's freaking wild. Like, I can't believe the guy who shot your dad in the face just, like, what year was this in? Like, early 80s? No, this would have been in the, uh, so I was born in 74, so this would have been in 67. 60, 67, 68, somewhere right around there. It just gave a, oh, I'm sorry. Dude, That's Florida is a different place. Like, oh, man, to can you? <laughs> oh, you really want to know what's different? Okay, so check it out. My dad had a Corvette at the time. He had a 66 Corvette that he had drove to the dove field. So he had to get in the Corvette, shot up and bleeding, and drive himself to the hospital. <laughs> Good God. Oh, you know, at Florida, right? He's, you pull up a camo and... <laughs> Believing <laughs> in a Corvette, <laughs> dude. Like, yeah, that is that is absolutely wild. Like nowadays, that'd be freaking national news. It would be. It would be. You know, but 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 he he, he was really turned off by it. He he was, you know. Now we we had guns and we went to the range and we shot you know rifles and pistols and, and stuff like that. But he wasn't into going anywhere where it was at. It was not going to be in his control. You know, he didn't like any kind of situation that that you know someone could you know, shoot him and he wasn't looking you know he just he was nervous about that yeah yeah you wonder why man you get out there to some of those freaking public dove fields i don't know if you've if you've done a bunch of dove hunting since but we have well, a few know, oh go ahead buddy well no i'll be honest with you since that happened with him i make sure i'm very aware of what's going on and where i am i don't do the public hunts anymore at all anywhere around here except for the duck hunting but I'm, I'm with somebody that I, I, I trust that I'm hunting with, you know. Yeah, and you, it sounds like your situation's a little more of a, it's like a private public hunt. It is, right. Yeah. Dude, we went out and did uh, some public dove hunting. My buddy has a couple places out on his farm that are pretty bang-up dove spots. But uh, the one year that his seed didn't take and, you know, it just... It wasn't worth a crap on the field that we were on. He wasn't seeing anything. So we went, I don't know, an hour and a half north. And we're like, well, hell, we'll go try this big area that everybody freaking dove hunts. I don't think we pulled the trigger one time that morning. We just sat there and watched people every freaking 25 feet, you know, just set up in the crop lines. You had, like, maybe 100 yards in between you where all the crops had been freaking mowed down or, you know, harvested, whatever the hell you want to call it. I'm not a farmer. But, uh just watching people go back and forth and getting rained on and stuff like this i was like dude shooting low birds oh yeah oh yeah. dude this is unbelievable like you couldn't pay me to public dove hunt it's insanity and i feel real bad for the guys that don't have a place to go you know around here what they have they have these little pay shoots that'll that'll, that'll come up you know where you know everybody meets at a gas station or whatever and you pay 50 bucks 75 bucks sometimes a hundred dollars and those are kind of more organized where you've got one guy that it's his job to put people in the field if anybody starts acting up they get that guy and they remove him out of there you know um 
so it's a little bit more organized, you know, and then sometimes they'll have a lunch or something with it, you know. Um, and those come up pretty regular. Uh, and then there's some dove clubs you can join that, that are, you know, definitely a lot more safe than those public things. But you still get those guys out there that, you know, I, I, I've been – I've been the guy hiding behind the peanut bale because I had the old man shooting at me. You know? <laughs> right, right. And you're like, what the hell, man? He's uh, going to have some friendly fire. So, well, you know, yeah, you, first you try to go over and talk to him and say, hey, man, you shot me. Stop shooting me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, hope that, and hope that sticks. <laughs> man, it that stuff always leads. It's always so bad, too, because everybody's... When you start getting freaking egos involved and then you got weapons, like, ugh, it, it can turn real ugly like it did, uh, you know, last winter up at Real Foot, and you just oh, hope shit. that that type of stuff never happens. I can tell you that I will be more mindful in the future because, you know, I'm obviously I'm getting older. The ego's gone away. It's not worth fighting over a, a freaking bird for me, but there's a lot of people that it is. Yeah, and I hey, I've, I've I've hollered at people on the lake. I, I'm I'm not I'm not one to say that I haven't. You know, I've certainly in in my younger days when I was when I first moved out here and, and uh, you know I, it was some confrontations, but um, like you said, it's not worth it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, you got into duck hunting. You know, obviously you went a few times as a kid. You said with your with your dad was hunting like that was the reason that you didn't take to it because you weren't having much success or was it just like something else i can tell you because my dad tried to take me deer hunting when i was a kid and i was bored he wasn't my dad was not a waterfowler at all we had some beagles we'd chase rabbits love that up moving watching stuff go bang 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 like that's that was my jam as a kid but deer hunting was mind-numbingly bad yeah, you know, I, I think fishing was more our stuff down here. You know, I, I just, I, I think instead of the hunting, you know, uh, route, you know, my dad was, was freshwater fishing. We had bass boats, and then then he got into saltwater fishing, so we'd start running offshore and catching grouper and snapper. And, um, you know, they bought a flats boat, and we started just sight fishing reds and, and trout. And so we just kind of went more of the fishing route. No, it makes sense, man. You're in Florida. My brother is a diehard fisherman. He freaking makes his own. He used to make his own swim baits. I don't know that he does much of it anymore, but he moved from Missouri, got out of the Navy, and stayed in Florida. So, yeah, I don't blame you guys at all down there. I'll tell you, we went to a local reservoir lake around here. Uh, me and a buddy of mine's got a, a, a nice little bass boat. We caught, I think it was close to 21 and a half pounds worth of fish in, in about a three-hour span. It was a good day. It's like one of those uh, every man limits out in twenty minute days that uh, yeah, he, you he remember. Caught a nine, yeah, he caught a nine and a half. I caught a six and a half. I think he caught a three pounder. I caught another about a three pounder. I think we had one more in there that was you know a small one, deep about a pound and a half. But it was a good day. We we won the tournament if we were in one. <laughs> See, my earliest memories of fishing with my grandpa, who was a diehard fisherman was shut up you're scaring the fish it was another one of those things like deer hunting i just did not have the patience for and that's why like waterfowling rabbit hunting that type of thing fits me so well as just no patience I understand. I understand. <laughs> so you moved down to st george's and uh 
St. George's Island, and you said you got into it then, and what, you were in your uh, late 20s, mid-20s? I was in my early 20s. Early uh, So 20. I was okay. 22, 21, 22, maybe 23, living down there. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was framing houses and, and doing construction work down there, and, and uh, some of the local guys uh, during, you know, got to be teal season, they said, hey, man, you need to hop in the boat. We're going to shoot some teal in the morning. And I was like, man, I, I honestly I ain't never done that. And they said, well, you need to get in here and do it. And I said, all right. And it was a good season. We, we wound up killing limits, and, and it was really a good a good time. And I was like, man, this is this is some good stuff, you know. And then, then it got to be regular season. They said, you need to come out here and shoot these redheads with us. And I was like, man, I'm in. Let's do it. And so, we went out there a couple times and shot redheads, and it was—I mean—it was a real good time. It really was. And so, uh, I, when I got back to Tallahassee, I was really just kind of really focused on finding a job and a place to live. And so, I didn't hunt that next season, but the season after that, I'd gone another couple of times just to the local lakes. But I, I didn't have any of my own stuff. You know, I didn't have any decoys or, or anything, but just a, a pretty much a bucket to put some shells and some groceries in and something to sit on and a, and a shotgun. That's all I had. You know. Um, and, and then, like I said, when I moved out here to this place, uh, the first the first year we lived here, we built the house. So I was still really working on trying to get the house all finished up. And my coworker said, "Man, I'd like to come out there and build a duck blind if you don't mind." And I was like, "Man, I, I if I could help you, I would, but I just can't." He said, "Man, if you just let me come out there and build the blind, don't worry about it." So he came out here and built this big, nice, big blind for us. We hunted that season, did pretty good, and I said, "Man, I, I'm gonna have to do this every single year. This is, this is, I'm, I'm enjoying this." And so it was like that for probably seven years, first seven years living out here. And then, man, it seemed like something happened with all the hunters in town. Everybody started getting real possessive about duck blinds, and there was a lot of fist fights happening at landings. And, People were ramming each other's boats and jumping in each other's boats and getting into fights and, and burning people's blinds down. and It just got real bad. And so the, the Fish and Wildlife Commission decided they were going to shut it all down. So they, they'd outlawed any kind of blind. You can't build a blind at all out here anymore. Uh, you're allowed to take material out to, to you know cover yourself up, but you got to bundle it all up and carry it right back with you. Uh, and if you don't, they're going to give you a real hefty fine for it. So... So they made it, you know, a, a little bit more difficult. And that's the time when I said, man, I'm going to start building these layout boats because now if I can't, you know, go out there in my 14-foot wide, you know, John boat and actually get set up in a blind and be comfortable, I want to be concealed at least, you know. Um, so I, I went from putting out 150 decoys to only about 12, and it seemed to work out a whole lot better for me. So, so you're freaking building layout boats. And I want to touch on this because it's really funny. I was listening to your podcast with Riley today, trying to you know make sure we didn't cover some of the exact same information. But uh, he said the same thing I was thinking when you said you started with teal season. And uh, I always tell my buddies, just like Riley said, don't start with teal season because you can be so blessed on it and so completely turned off by it. And uh, one of my best friends, I've known him for 25 years, it was maybe my fourth year of hunting, and it was his first ever hunt. He wanted me to take him so bad, and I was like, absolutely, man, come on out. Um, he didn't want to wait till regular season. Came out on a teal hunt, and we had a four-man limit within the first five minutes of legal shooting time. Like, just absolute lights out, banded hunt, like, just insane. And I looked at him, I said, I want you to hear me when I say this. This does not happen. 
this is a once in a lifetime like you're hoping this happens every single time but it is such a rare occasion especially with teal how finicky they are we just had all the conditions right and ever since that day he's been god that was like seven eight years ago he's been chasing that one high every single time and i was like i told you man all those years ago that like this just does not happen and when riley said that it cracked me up so hard because i was like exactly yeah it, it, it you know but when it does it's beautiful oh yeah when it does they're my favorite bird to hunt when they're doing it right we get a real good push of them here during teal season but but you know what we get is we get a two-week season so we get uh one week of wood duck and teal and then one one week of just teal uh because the teal here i mean honestly they're only here for a couple of days it, it, they're, they're they're here in pretty good strong numbers and then they're gone it's just just that quick well and it's there's such a finicky bird and you know it's like hey it got five degrees warmer today and then you go we're like ah oh, we're not gonna hunt then you go drive and scout and you're like what the hell all the birds are here today like <laughs> teal are just for no rhyme or reason they're so finicky and it's just like what you said man it's like uh we get two weeks worth of season 10 days two weeks i don't know something like that and it's like maybe one or two you'll get lucky in them yeah that's the time you just gotta take some time off during the week and say man i'm going uh, i won't be into work till noon sorry it's just the way it's gonna work <laughs> and you know that's one of my uh most definitely and a lot of guys up here in missouri dude that is one of my uh bucket list birds for a fully plumed out blue wing teal. If I brought that to a damn taxidermist, he'd be like, you shot this in May, didn't you? Because that's the only time we see them like that. They're brown as all get out when they're coming through yeah, here. Yeah, they're brown here. We don't, we, you can't really tell the difference if it's a drake or a hen here. Do you guys ever get them? I, I don't know if you're far enough south. Do you guys ever get them when they're plumed out? Occasionally, um, occasionally during the regular season but it's more more green wing teal during the regular season those um, are fun too man oh they are it, it's rare you're going to kill a, a blue wing during the regular season here now if you went on further south around ocala you know maybe gainesville um they, they got them down that way Merritt island and all that they, they got them down there but, you know up here it's mostly on the inland lakes we got ringnecks uh you'll you'll kill the occasional redhead and bluebill um, canvas back sometimes um, and occasionally you'll kill a mallard or a pintail or a gadwall or a widgeon but those are kind of few and far between it's getting more prevalent to be honest with you um, and then green wing teal are, 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 are becoming more and more uh, shot birds down here um, and then when you go down to the coast it's pretty much all redheads bluebills buffleheads you know, ruddy ducks um, occasionally uh, you'll get a canvas back down that way, um, you know. But it's it's mostly divers down there. With the believe it or not, with the occasional widget, you'll you'll kill a, a widget down there at the coast sometimes. So when you're running these, uh, you're running these dozen, two dozen decoys out of your layout. What's what are you setting up? Are you setting up, uh, you know, the long line for divers, or are you uh, are you focusing on puddle ducks? So I I, I run all the. Uh, big styro body herder decoys so there's those big magnum styro body with Mm -hmm. the big hard plastic swivel head i run 18 of those is what i've been doing recently and they're all painted up for just black and white just look like a a blue bill sitting out there um i don't put any mallard or any kind of anything else decoys and then i use usually use two spinning like a 
sometimes I use a teal mojo and then those big mojo uh, bluebills, um, the old school ones, not the new little ones, but those big old school ones. That's pretty much the all the decoy spread I use. But I set them up usually in either like a J pattern, like a J hook, or sometimes just a V, and I'll sit right there at the, at the point of the V, you know, kind of pretty much in the decoys. My, my shots are... are at the most 25 yards away they're here in my face really are well that's the best way to do it so you're mainly going after those ringers man i ringers are a fun duck to shoot at well yeah because you know like i said you, it's rare you kill anything else so if you set with set up with that spread you're gonna have something fly by you at some point last year we killed some pintails um we were the, we didn't have we didn't see any ducks and my buddy and i are sitting there and all of a sudden here comes some pintails flying by crack down a little bit they turned on a dime and came right to us. We drilled our couple. I was like, oh, this never happens. And yeah. he was like, can I come? Yeah, just like you said, he's like, can I come back tomorrow? And I said, buddy, they're not going to be here tomorrow. I'm telling you. <laughs> we can go, but they're not going to be here. <laughs> well, and, you know, pintails, for people who listen to this thing a lot, are they know they're my nemesis bird. I have a pintail tattooed on my arm. I love pintails. It's the only pintail I've ever got. And I had to get it in ink on my arm because every time I've ever had a pintail, it's just never worked out. They're finicky birds. And I heard you mention on Riley's again, like I said, I just listened to it a couple hours ago, that you have a big problem with eagles. Well, this was... Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, we got a bad problem with that. As a matter of fact, yeah, go ahead. See, I, I want to hear what you want to say about it because it's, it's, it's a trip to me. <laughs> yeah, well, for anybody that's listened to this, sorry to hear the story again. It's 2018. I've, in the past two or three years before that, I've shot pintails or had opportunities to shoot pintails and just never brought them back inside the blind, not because I didn't want to, trust me. Um, so we're hunting this big lake, wide open area, and lo and behold, we got a single. And he is, you know, just, he's hes a lot better in my mind now than I'm sure he would have been if I ever had him in my hands. But he's a trophy. He's got a, you know, a monster sprig, just beautiful bird. Comes in, and the year before that, my buddy, we're hunting on his place. He never calls a shot, because there's mallards working. And uh, I told him, I was like, bro, why didn't, we, why didn't we shoot the pintail? We shoot 90% mallards here. I was like, why didn't we shoot the pintail? He's like, well, hell, I never saw him. You should have just stood up and shot him. I was like, dude, we're at your place. I'm not going to do that. Well, he told me, he's like, I don't give a crap. Just do it next time. So we're at the we're at this spot, and the pintail comes in. I don't wait for anybody else to call the shot. I just stand up, boom, drop him. And he just starts laughing. He's like, you weren't going to be cheated out of it this year, were you? I was like, hell no. Well, we start having birds work again. So I sit back down, and we leave him, you know, floating on the water just in case. And by God, if a freaking bald eagle didn't swoop down and pick that son of a gun up while I'm texting everybody, oh, I finally got my pintail, I'm researching mounts, you know, waiting for these other birds to either get shot or flare off. And this freaking bald eagle picks up my pintail, flies across the freaking lake a good 300 yards, eats him in front of me, other bald eagles join him, they have a big old party. Oh, Oh, man, that's terrible. I hate bald eagles with a passion. (laughs) We, we got problems with the bald eagles and the osprey. We got a lot of osprey here. Um, and then, the, like, otters. We got otters down here that'll swim up to you and get all your stuff, too. It's, it, them things are terrible. They get all caught up in your decoys and mess them all up. They're horrible. <laughs> we get turtles, man. Turtles clip our freaking lines. Huh. Well, you know, that makes sense. Well, I've had some clip lines. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about it, but any of our private spots, dude, I hate freaking turtles out there. Huh. Yeah, we um, I, 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 we got alligators down here. That's that's the thing down here. You know, I mean, it's it's they're real bad during the teal season. They're active, and, and they and I swear them shotguns are like dinner bells to them. They know what's <laughs> up. They start looking around for for stuff to eat, and then during the winter time, they not you don't really have to worry about them hurting you or anything. But they're just out there, you know, and. and you don't ever know what damn lizard's going to do. You know? uh, dude, you couldn't pay me enough. I, I didn't bring it up on this one because every guy from down there, I always, like last year when I was doing interviews, brought up alligators. I was like, eh, I'm not going to bring it up this time because, you know, it's the same thing. But you couldn't pay me to get in the water in early teal season. I know in the wintertime they kind of go dormant and stuff like that, but... living down there for a few years um where i was at in pascagoula in mississippi there right at the state line of alabama mississippi there was a freaking fan boat gator area and i've seen more gators than i ever care to see um i couldn't imagine hunting in that stuff you know yeah i mean it's you just stay in the boat if if you can and (laughs) and don't don't bring a dog because that's just attracts you know yeah yeah for sure man so uh Man, when did you get into these calls, brother? I uh, I love what you've been doing. I you should you you go by Lawman calls, but I almost think it should be Cody Cannon Law. Well, I, I you know that's what I I don't want to be just the cannon maker. I, I you know <laughs> I, I, w- I want to do some other stuff too. But but you know I, I, so I started making turkey calls, turkey cock calls about eight or nine years ago. And a friend of mine, a local friend of mine that I hunt with, is a duck call collector also. And, and he said, man, you need to start making duck calls. You really do. And that was in probably 2014 or 15 when he started trying to get me to do it. And I didn't want to do it. I said, man, I got my hands full. I don't I don't want to mess with that. Turkey calls are fine. And then about, I, I think in October, it'll be two years that I've been making duck calls. Um but I, but I, I finally I said all right man I'm I'm gonna buy all the stuff and I want to look at some of your calls if you don't mind because I just want to see what kind of stuff people are putting out. He's like sure sure I didn't even have Facebook or anything. So I went over to his house and the first call he showed me was an all brass Brad samples call, and I was like you put that on your neck man that thing's heavy as it can be dude <laughs> and he, you hunt with that and he's like well I have but I, I don't I don't hunt with it a lot you know and I was like. And then he started showing me some other stuff. He's got some Mark Rogers calls. And he's got some an Ernie Ross Goose call. And he's got some Ronnie Turner calls. He's got he's got a, quite the collection, you know. And, and and so I said, man, you know, these are beautiful, Mike. I can't believe that that you hunt with these kind of things. He said, oh man, yeah, all the time. You know, lots of people do it. So then I started collecting wood and kind of getting getting my stuff together to start making calls. And like I said about. I think it's two years in uh, October is, is when I is is, is going to be my anniversary. Dang, man. Def- definitely gone through definitely gone through quite a bit of shapes and learned a lot. Got so much more to learn. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I want to back up a little bit because I heard you mention it on uh, on Riley's the turkey calls, man. What what's up with that? So I started making turkey pot calls because it didn't seem that I could find one in the store that I liked. And I had a blade that I got from my granddad, and I said, man, I think I could probably make one of these. So I actually went and bought a little plastic one. I think it was a HS strut or HR strut or something from Walmart, and I 
I busted out the, the sleet soundboard or sleet surface and I looked at it and kind of saw how it was built. I started turning them and it took me about 10 or 12 to get it, you know, somewhat dialed into where it sounded okay. And then that first year we hunted with them and we killed some turkeys with them. And I said, man, I, I'm enjoying this, you know. And so the next year I made some more and I didn't really start selling any turkey calls until about four or five years into it. I was just, I would make them and just stack them up at the house, you know. Some of them sounded good, some of them sounded terrible. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then I kind of finally figured out what, what sounded good and what didn't, and uh, it kind of stuck with it. And, and now I don't do as much turkey calls, and I knew this was going to happen. I, that's why I didn't want to do the duck calls, because I said, man, if I get on these duck calls, I don't, I don't think I'm going to want to do very many of the turkeys anymore. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what happened, truly. Uh, I, I still make the occasional, you know, turkey pot call. I might make 15 or 20 a year. No, not not a whole lot. I gotcha. I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback because you said something that I hear call makers say all the time, and I think it's a generic response, and it's not meant to be offensive by any way. But I'm going to ask you, did you say that I couldn't find anything I liked because you didn't, you couldn't find anything you like, or is it because you just wanted to figure out if you could do it on your own? Because me, myself, there's a lot of really, really good duck calls, and a lot of guys doing it better than I am. I just wanted to see if I could do it myself. Well, no doubt, no doubt with the duck calls. There, there's no doubt. I, I, I definitely wanted to see at some point if I could do those myself. The turkey calls. The honestly, you really want to? I'm a cheapskate, and and I, I you know, <laughs> go to the, I go to the place and I say, man, a hundred dollars for a, a Woodhaven call. I mean, it's a nice call, and I know it sounds good, but dad, gum, it's probably made in you know a factory, some CNC machine. You know, I, I, I I, I just want something a little bit more personal. You know, I, I think I just want something a little more personal. There you and, go. Uh, That's the answer and, I like right there. And, and I, I mean, truly is because I, I just didn't have, I, I was cheap. I didn't want to spend a hundred bucks. <laughs> hey, brother, don't be ashamed of that. I said it on a podcast before. The reason I got into duck call making, aside from seeing if I could do it myself, that's like the half of the sentence. It's because I had spent so much money on my own personal collection that I was buying up too much at a time, and I was like, I bet I can do this for cheaper myself. And then I <laughs> dug myself into a black hole for a couple of years of buying up blanks and crap and trying to teach myself how to do this thing. Well, the, the duck calls for me, since I've, I've been a carpenter and doing some kind of woodwork for you know most of my adult life, I, I, I've always built furniture and, and you know done little small projects here and there in the shop and when we moved out here to where I am now, where we built this house, I was able to build about a almost a 900 square foot shop underneath my house, and so I outfitted it with you know big five horse table saws and dust collection and router tables and hollow chisel mortisers and all the all the woodworking tools. It's a, it's a playland down here for me, you know. So the the, the duck calls got to a point to where. I, I'm not lifting all this heavy stuff, furniture and whatnot, but I can still focus and do some kind of fun woodworking. And everyone is a little bit different. You know, there's, there's, I'm trying not to make any two that are the same, you know, exact same, if I can help it. Well, yeah, man, that gets boring to you as a maker. I feel the same way. When you post up something and you get eight messages, they're like, hey, I want you to build me one just like that. I'm like, "I, I, you know, I'll be happy to take your order, but I really don't want to do eight more just like that. Like, we're, we're custom call makers, you know? It, it's a different game. 
Well, I'm lucky. I hadn't had anybody call me and ask me to do that. Well, the, that's good. It'll get there in time. Trust me. I'm sure the cannon calls are uh, getting a nice little waiting list. You said you got yeah, into. Uh, you, I'm sorry. You said you got into the furniture stuff, brother. And I know that uh, Korea freaking did furniture. I feel like duck call collectors respect the hard work, craftsmanship, and ingenuity that goes in that stuff. And he said that. You know, when he was doing custom furniture and stuff like that, people just didn't see it. Like, call collectors see it, and they're like, I don't understand why this is so expensive because it's a handmade quality piece of furniture. Because everybody's so used to, you know, you can go get a box store plywood pressed together with a freaking laminate over the top of it, and people just don't respect the custom furniture as much. Did you find that when you were doing it? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, and. and it, what I found is, is the people would show you a picture and they say, you know, can you make this? This this is what I want. And you look at it and you say, absolutely, I can do that. Let me work up some prices because I don't have a 48-inch wide piece of live-edge walnut to give you, right. you know, right now. So let me find a piece and I'll let you know how much it's going to cost by the time I get it all surfaced and smooth and finished and give you a nice base and, you know, chairs, benches, whatever you want out of it. Give them the price and they think, well, it, uh, I can get it on Amazon for half of that. And I said, well, you need to get it on Amazon then because it certainly wasn't made by just a, 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 to order a custom for you. You know, that's a, something that's probably made by little Indonesian kids, you know, over there in the, in the East and the South Pacific, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, making Nike money. <laughs> and, and, yeah, he, he hit the nail on the head. It, 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 it does seem that, that duck call collectors, they, they really do respect what's going on with, with the call and, and you know it, 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 they certainly don't build themselves and, and um, they take some time I mean they do for me at least I, I mean it, it doesn't seem like I spit one out really really fast well you've definitely uh, tied yourself into a bind doing these these crazy calls it's like Brad and freaking Andrew and anybody that does some just crazy in-depth stuff I said it many a times for years. I was like, dude, Brad has buried himself into a hole with doing all this feathered stuff. His hands are hate him right now with how much, you know, he's putting out freaking acrylic calls with carved feather bands. Like, a call can't leave a shop without a freaking carved feather band on there. And, you know, I know you don't want to just be the cannon call maker, but it's like, it's like I told, uh, korea when he won the uh the goose championship last year and he's like dude i don't know what i should do i don't feel like i should be selling these and i was like do people want them right now and he's like well yeah i got a bunch of people wanting me i was like dude you'd be foolish you're doing this for a living you're paying for your kids you know your kids livelihood like make money while their sun's shining on you because it, it's not going to be there forever there is some truth to that, no doubt. Um, I, what I'm doing with the cannon calls is trying to limit limiting them to ten a year, just to just to try to make them a little more fun for me, because I'm trying to make every one of those individually a little bit different. You know, you know, a little different but a little the same. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to keep them down to about ten a year if I can. Um, hey, I like it that way, man. That just means for everybody listening. If you got one this year, consider yourself lucky, and you better uh, you better get ready to try to get one next year. You know what I really like about them, honestly, is is the feedback I get from the people that already have them. You know, like I, I'll I'll definitely message them 
with the next one that's coming up and just send them some pictures and, and hey man what do you think about this and and it's and it, it's just great to get feedback everybody's been real creative about them uh the last ones i did for jim andrews the ones that had the the sunken sunken cannons um yeah man those were that was his idea and it was really fun to do and and uh and you know just just the ideas in general are, 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 are what is, makes it more enjoyable well, and it's such a cool piece because it's it's so Florida, you know, that, that pirate. I'm sure up and down the East Coast and I think up to like South Carolina there was a lot of pirates back in the back in the day, which was a Wednesday. Um, but there there was a lot of pirates back in the it just it's so Florida with the old forts and Saint Augustine and stuff like that. It uh it it, it it's just a good feel. It's not like you're trying to do something that's not natural to where you're at i appreciate that yeah you know and and i, I certainly am not the only the first one that did to, to do that um i don't i wish i remember those guys names but there's a couple other guys that made some um i think they made them for uh, nwtf entries um one guy made an abw one with a really cool looking uh like a field cannon base you know with the big giant wheels and, and you know, roll around behind a horse type of thing and then the other guy made a brass cannon that was really sporty um, well and you know you came to that idea originally yourself like um uh, i don't know if that made sense but like it was with uh korea he put out that surf fight call a couple months ago and we were actually i was laying in bed one day and i saw a ring maker making a ring at a surf fight i screenshot the post and i was like I sent it, you know, me and Channing talked quite a bit, and uh, I sent him a picture. I was like, dude, we got to find this stuff. And he put out a call like a month later of it, then I put out a couple of them. And then I got contacted by Alan Graves, who's a great call maker. And Absolutely. Uh, dude, he's phenomenal. The metal work that he's doing on stuff is blows my mind. But he's like, dude, I tried to make a certified call like years ago. And it's like that mindset of you talking about the cannon calls. Other people have done it, but it was like me. I was like, dude, I've never seen a surf fight call. Turns out people have done them before. They're not completely original. But it's like I came to that idea organically. I didn't see somebody else's picture. You didn't see somebody else's cannon call and try to copy that. You know, there, there's a difference to me. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was funny is everybody's style, and I don't think those other two guys knew that each other had done it either um, un, un, until I had I posted mine, and I, I think somebody brought the mention, hey, well, these other guys did it too, and we all kind of got on there, and it was cool because we all had different style calls, you know, but they were all the same thing, and I don't think either one of us knew what any one of us was doing, so it was a really pretty cool little thing right there. Yeah, and it, it's such a, a cool thing. I brought it up with... Dude, I can't remember. I do too many of these things to remember who I was talking to. But the specialty call, man, it was like uh, David Knox with that lighthouse call, Andrew with his. You know, there's a couple guys that do just different specialty calls, and it's a very cool thing. And it may, to me, it, it it almost like gets the creative juices stirred. And people can look at it as being like a. You know, trying to find something to nitpick about different calls or something like that. But it, to me, man, it, it gets my creative juices. I'm like, damn, wh what can I do? Aside from turning out my other calls, I have a good 4th of July call in mind that I'm going to do that I haven't seen anybody else do. 
But then when I talk about it to myself, I'm like, dude, it's kind of just a plain game. I don't know that it's going to translate, but it's like almost looking for that thing, that specialty call. Yeah, I'm trying to chase some other ideas right now, too, and I'm having a tough time with it. (laughs) But, but yeah, I've I've definitely got some some things, some wild-looking things that, you know, definitely are are novelty novelty items, you know. Um, Well, and see, uh, you're you're a guy that is proof that that age-old adage of, uh, I don't even know if adage is a real word, but it sounds good right now saying it. But uh, <laughs> that there's only so many ways you can shape a wood call. And I think I've even said it on this thing before. But if you put in the work and you're willing to be creative, you can find a way to separate yourself. And that's exactly what you've done. And there's been calls being made for 150 years, probably a lot longer than that, and some really, really old school stuff. I think Egyptians were making calls. But uh, there's a way to be unique and create a style that's your own. And you've done it. I appreciate that. I do. Absolutely, brother. It's it's definitely earned. Now, uh, as far as calling, man, what like what was the experience like? Because you said you chased a lot of divers and stuff like that, and you did some puddle ducks. Like, how long have you been, uh, you'd been hunting for 15 years, is that right, before you started doing calls? Yeah, about 15 years for the calls, yeah. Right on, right on. It's always interesting, man, because I wish that I was the caller today that I was when I started six years ago. My calls would be so much more advanced, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, around here, honestly, you really don't have to use a call around here. Um, I mean, I, I keep a couple of diver calls on my lanyard, and I, I carry one of my calls with me as well. Um, but, but really, with the ringnecks, you're not calling out. Um, you, you really just got it just because you got it. Um, like I said, occasionally you'll see a, a, a puddle duck fly by, and you might quack at it. And if it turns, great. But truly, it's, it's just better if you stay still around here. Um, but I have been able to take a couple of trips to a couple of spots. You know, we went to Arkansas one year, um, been over to Mississippi and Louisiana a couple of times, and so was, was, I've been able to go to a few other spots and actually see a few mallards from time to time, and I hope that gets to be more uh, more available to me as I get a little bit older and have a little bit more time. Yeah. I, I heard you say that uh, on his podcast, Riley's that is, that's Rilo's podcast. I haven't plugged the official name, but that's Rilo's podcast. I'm actually doing his podcast tomorrow. I'm going to be a guest. Which is gonna be is gonna be super weird, man. I've never been a guest on somebody else's, but uh, I heard you say that there's not a lot of other people around you to uh, to bounce ideas off of, man. And I found the same thing when I first started. And I have a really funny story from yesterday about meeting a he's a he's a new call maker. He just started. I don't even think he's posted anything. But uh, I was on Facebook the other day after getting home off work, and I live in Springfield. But I work in Jefferson City, Missouri, and that's the capital of Missouri. And I drive up there every day. It's two and a half hours away. And this dude posted a picture of a street that I turn off of every day in Jeff City. Like, said on the way to work or something like that. And I was like, that's weird. Who the hell is on my friends list that's from Jeff City? I didn't even know I knew anybody up there. You know? <laughs> like, how the hell do I know this person? And I looked... And he had a duck hunting profile picture. I was like, dude, there's a duck hunter up in Jeff City. Dude, I'm up there every single day. 
Well, I work for American Tire Distributor, and he works for Big O. He is the general manager of Big O Tires, which is a brand up here, like a chain store. I don't know if it's in every state or not, but uh, I looked at it, and I was I looked at the address, and I said, I sent him a message. I said, dude, I have been delivering, or I said, uh, dude, you live up in Jeff City? Like, how do I know you? You make calls? And he sent me a message back, and he said, I actually found you through your podcast, and I started following calls. And he was, I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, I'm the ATD guy that literally delivers tires to you every single day. And he was like, are you serious? I went in the next day, and we, like, did an actual introduction. And he was like, dude, I just started making calls. And I was like, how weird, small world. He, he found me listening to the podcast. It was so weird. So, awesome. like you were saying, you don't you don't know a lot of guys down there, but dude, you never know. It's so weird how this what? this world is intertangled. Yeah, and I and I've actually um, there are some folks that are further south of me. Uh, like Chris Chris Corso, he's down there a little further south of me on, on Merritt Island, and then of course Jim Andrews lives down there around around Cape Canaveral. He lives down that way. Uh, he's he's a big collector. He's got a lot of piloting knowledge. Um, and then Rodney Hill uh, lives to the west of me a little bit, about a couple hours away. I was going to um, bring him up. I've had him on the podcast. Rodney Hill is a really, really good call maker and a good caller. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked back and forth a little bit. We just, you know, both got families and it's tough to, to get a schedule worked out. But but um, we, we definitely going to try to hook up sooner than later. Um but you know, and, and there's a couple of the guys in town that are that are mostly stuffers, you know, and they're selling at mostly just the local, you know, trade shows and fairs and stuff like that. Um, but but they don't really do a whole lot of talking about cone boards or reeds or you know sounds or anything. It's it's grab the echo insert stuff within the pretty barrel and ride on. Yeah, man. Um, the barrel stuffer thing is uh i i heard you mention that before on uh on riley's and i'm gonna keep saying his name on this podcast because like i said literally that was the research i had just done today um you know barrel stuffers are fine with me as long there's there's a place from the world as long as you know they're they're advertising it realistically when people are saying hey you know i made a duck call i think everybody that's in the collector's world knows when something is stuffed and it doesn't bother me and if they're getting $180 for a stuffed call more power to them because that just means our stuff is going to sell for that much higher and they found a way to niche out their own market um, I don't think you ever take them serious as a call maker companion in the brotherhood but uh, I'm not going to be the guy to bash somebody it just it doesn't make any time any sense to me no, 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 not at all. And honestly, they're selling to a local market. And honestly, I don't have a whole lot of local sales. Um, I, I donate, you know, a couple of calls a year to the National Wild Turkey Federation for their local banquets. And then I, I donate to the local high school Ducks Unlimited chapter around here. Um, you know, but but they're not, they're not, we're not, we're not trying to talk to the same people. You know, they're, like I said, they're mostly at, at the, the local fairs and, 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 you know, craft shows and stuff like that. And they're not they're not marketing them as, as custom calls at all. You know, this it's just a duck call. You know, and and uh, they sell a lot. They, they do real good with it. They, yeah. they really do. And like, and like you say, more power to them. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I want to clarify. It's not that I didn't think that you were implying that. I've just seen comments from, you know, our groups, Call Nuts, Call Lounge, uh, over the years of people just tearing guys apart over stuffers. And it's like, if you're worrying about somebody else's call, unless they're copying you or copying, you know, a different call maker, it's like, it's not worth my time to, to mess with it. Now, as far as uh, sound goes, man, uh, you said on that you were a uh, a public jig guy. Have you, you said, or you you went to a flat jig? I can't remember. So, 100%. so, so I started with a pintail public jig, um, and then I bought a couple of jigs from David Knock, which were the uh, Webfoot jigs. I bought two of them from him. That I think one's a P one and a P two. I think P three and P two. Um, which I still use, but I modify quite a bit. It just kind of gets me a start, uh, and then I, I work off it. I don't even really cut the slope anymore with with the public jig. Um, I just go to work with the file on it. But but um, I, I just feel like I haven't quite gotten to my public spot. I'm not my, my to send off for a custom jig yet, and I didn't want to be the guy that jumped right in and say, "Yeah, this is the call." You know, I, I'm brand new to this. Like like I said, less than two years in. I didn't want to be the guy that says, man, I'm a, this is it. This is my sound. I'm going to send this away for a custom jig because I don't know that this is my sound yet, you know? And so I didn't want to waste the amount of money for that right off the rip. Um, but I think I'm real close to sending it off now, maybe another month or so. Um, probably going to be winding up doing all my new sound after the, the Call Nuts Classic and the, the National Wild Turkey Federation. But but I, I think I'm pretty close to, to sending one off here next month or two. Well, I can tell you that I started with a Pentail, I don't know if it was a P1 or a P2, it was so many years ago. I cut like, I don't know, 50 calls off of that thing. And I wish I had all of those calls back because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I can tell you, in, I, I still flat jig because I'm a psychopath. And freaking every call maker I've ever talked to tears me up over not having my own damn jig made yet. But uh, I'm like you, man. You said it at the beginning. I'm a cheapskate. And I cannot justify spending the money. Now, at this point, it's become my stick, stitch, whatever, stick, whatever. People want to say that they I'm known as a flat jig psychopath. But... Um, when I first got going, like you, you know, I I flat jig or I public jigged for like six months, seven months, and then I flat jigged from there out. And I probably should have had a jig made, you know, within a couple of years after that. But I was the same way. I'd have a call. I'm like, this is it. This is money, man. This is the one I'm gonna keep for my jig. I'm gonna raise up some funds. I'm gonna save, and uh, I would have the money saved up, ready to go. And then I'd go pick that thing up off the mantle, cut a fresh piece of cork so it wasn't automatically flat, blow it, and I'm like, hell, the call I was tuning yesterday sounded better than this thing. What what in the hell am I doing? And then it'd make me question everything. And, uh, you know, I had some pretty in-depth talks with uh, Meredith and everybody else, and he's like, dude, it's not about getting the finished product. It's about getting you to the point that you can tweak and start practicing a lot of other aspects of the game and now like i said with this stinking podcast and everybody knows me as a flat jig guy it's the same thing as the freaking brad samples you with the freaking cannon call now i'm the flat jig guy 
and I'm stuck with well, it. Well, I mean, more, my hat's off to you, dude, because that's, that's some tough stuff to be able to try to replicate off of flat jig every time. Well, everyone's um, definitely unique. That is for sure. I uh, I used to try to make them very, very similar, but it's like, pfft, I tune them by ear. I, I shape them by ear. There's no way for me to even come close to replicating. Right. Yeah. My dimensions... Yeah, you know, and tones and all uh, like the bore depths and all that stuff are going to be the same but everything else is by ear right yeah i think even mine sound a little different every single one of them you know they're, they're definitely not exactly the same um i think they're kind of close and i've definitely gotten better in the past 25 or 30 calls that i've done um something clicked something clicked when i got these web foot jigs i'm not exactly sure what it was but but when i went from the pintail to the web foot jig I, I don't I, something I just I figured it out within about the first five of them I said man now I know what I've been doing wrong now, now I think I've now I think I kind of got it figured out a little bit because I you know I'd, I'd watch the videos but honestly I'm, I'm a little ADD and I'd get about five minutes into it and I'd be like ah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to watch this anymore I just want to do it <laughs> well I'm going to tell you now that you might get your your jig made your first jig and all that stuff sell some public jigs keep the one that you're using get your custom jig made and then get you a flat jig because you're going to use that thing forever i saw a freaking yeah. i saw john kep using a freaking flat jig in a post a couple of years ago and he's already had four or five world championships under his belt it doesn't matter how many calls you make how many jigs you make keep that freaking flat jig on standby because it is going to uh it's always going to be a tool that you're going to be playing with, you know, if you make if you do this thing for 5 years or 30 years, it's always going to be something that you're playing with. And uh man, I really really like my 350 jig, but I used a 335 flat jig for a long time. So that's even something you can look at is get you a different deck height. And uh it just gives you so many different options to play with. Yeah, no doubt. That's why I say I've got I've got a bunch to learn. I mean, pretty much, you know, any any kind of small amount of profit that's coming in with this little bit of stuff that I'm doing is really going right back out. Uh, honestly, I, I probably buy too much wood, but I'm, I've always been a bit of a wood collector. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, you know, all the other stuff that comes with it. You know how it is, sandpaper, and carbide cutters. Oh, God, boxes, bags. And bands, and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly a comes with a little bit of dollar amount so honestly my wife enjoys me doing the duck calls because she's like well at least you're doing that and you're not you know spending a whole bunch of money on all these big giant wide walnut slabs and hoping somebody's gonna buy yeah yeah exactly and i can tell you that i've never once talked to or met a rich custom call maker (laughs) is that i don't even think that exists exactly it is two words as they cross each other out it's an oxymoron (laughs) <laughs> it is a yep. good uh a good black hole to spend money in it's kind of like owning boat or freaking owning a plane you're just wasting money but it's well, you about know what, the enjoyment you know what boat stands for right uh, what's the acronym for it break out another thousand there you go it's just like owning a jeep just empty every pocket <laughs> nice <laughs> well what's the uh what's the plan man what what's your goals for this next six months so I've bought some checkering kits, and I've got the cradle, Uh-oh. and I really, really wish that I could have made it to the to the checkering class that they had at the, the Call of Palooza. Um, 
I really want to kind of start working on the, the checker in a little bit. Um, I think I want to kind of go down the metal reed path at some point. So I'm, I'm looking into doing some stuff with the metal reeds. Um, I want to do a little bit more on the carbon, try to learn a little bit more about that. As a matter of fact, before you called me, I was trying on a little piece of Turkish walnut. Wound up ground, grinding the head off the mallard I was carving. <laughs> <laughs> Did carving make you pull your freaking hair out? It will, it will. But it's it's fun, you know. But but I think that's a, that's my plan for this next coming up here. You know, I'm I'm gonna have some more of the regular calls. I I'll be honest with you, I've never opened up books or really had books. I've I've taken a few orders here and there, um, with the exception of the Canon calls. But but I think I might I might possibly you know open up some orders here I, I don't know I, you know brother books, so to speak you know I, I got a piece of plywood I write stuff on so maybe I'll, I'll do that brother learn from Ernie Ross just make a call and post it up for sale yeah he's he's, he's definitely uh, he makes a nice call well that's that that's the way to go make a call make whatever you want whenever you want post it up for sale people are gonna buy it and it'll do good if not make the next one you're right about that. That uh, that whole books thing, it can be good. There's a lot of different ways to go about it, but unless customers are sending you the blanks, it's always such a headache of, you know, somebody will hit you up and they're like, I want this red call with, you know, this and that, this red dyed maple, blah, blah, blah. You know, they want it out of a specific material, specific color. And you start sending them some pictures of what you have on hand. They're like, oh, none of those are right. I'm like, all right, buddy. Well, you find the blank and you send it to me and I'll take care of you. But I can't just go out here freaking. I don't have time to shop. My time is too valuable for me to sit on here and shop for a specific blank. Like, I I don't want to upcharge you for that. But that's realistically what you have to do. It's your time. And I, books can just get into being such a nightmare with all that crap. Yeah, and maybe that's why I hadn't, you know, I, I guess the little bit of orders I have taken, the people have, you know, contacted me, and, I, and I'll show them what I have and say, you know, this is it, and, and then, you know, luckily so far I've had, you know, stuff they, they've liked, or like you said, they've they've had something they wanted to send me, so. Yeah. Um, but I, I've only done maybe 10 or so of those. I haven't done a whole lot of uh, actual real custom orders. Right on. That's, that's a good way of doing it, man. How many are you shooting for this year? I don't even know, man. I don't even know how many I've ever made. You don't know how many you've ever made? I have no clue. I I, I think I'm probably over 100 so far, but I I have no clue. I can tell you I did the same thing as you. I had no idea what my total's up to. The only thing I can do is look at my Instagram and see every call that I've ever posted. I don't know if I've posted every single one ever, but try to count. Um, What I do every year is I try to just, I I renumber everything by year. So this year, 2021, I think I'm on 49 or 50. And then I'll start over in 2022 because there's no way of freaking trying to mark everything. Like Brad is, you know, up to 1,800 or something like that. Like I never started that numbering system until it was too late. Yeah, and I think I'm in the same boat. What I was going to do was when I get my custom jig made, start numbering them from that point. Um, that's kind of was, was my plan to begin with. And then that way... You know, maybe the ones that aren't numbered are a little bit more special. Maybe. 
See, as long as you have a uh, one jig going off of that, because if you make the second jig, and then you're like, oh, well, this is jig number two, number one, and this is <laughs> jig number three, number fourteen. Like, I can see that becoming a freaking nightmare too. But as long as you got a way to track it, if that even matters, you know, to you, of what number it is. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of numbering them, you know, by year. That that might be a good good plan to try to stick to, um, but no, I, I just I mean the only things I've numbered are the cannons. That's the only ones that I've I've actually put a number on. Well, there you go. That's that's the way to go then. Just freaking put the year and what number out of the cannons it is. Yeah, that, that, that might be the thing. <laughs> All I mean, right. Honestly, I'm I'm almost swapping shapes. Seems like about every eight months, so maybe you can kind of track it that way. <laughs> well, that's definitely how, uh, you know, you can keep track of your own stuff when people are like, hey, when is this thing from? And it's like, uh, you know, I've added little differences to my shape here and there, and I've got a pretty consistent one since 2016, but I added a shoulder to it in 2000 up in front of the band in like 2018. So I kind of know when that shape started. I can give you a little bit of difference, but yeah, it can it can be tough. But, uh, hell, man, that's how call makers forever have kind of signified their stuff. Look at uh, even a company like R&T. People will post up, and they're like, hey, does anybody know how old this R&T is? And they're like, well, look at the sticker. Is the R slanted? Is it in front of the – is the uh, little N that's up above the rich and tone part of it in front of the duck or after the duck? Like, It's like dating old Camaro or something. Yes, exactly, exactly, man. Well, where can people get a hold of your calls at, man? Or at least check them out. So I'm on Facebook. I got a got a game call page, Lawman Game Calls. Um, look me up. And then I've also, you know, I'm on the call page, Call Lounge, mostly the Call Lounge. And then I'm on Call Nuts a little bit, uh, a few of the other call pages too. Um, but I don't always post my stuff on my my game call page. Sometimes I'll I'll wait a little bit and post five or six of them at a time. Um, but you can get a pretty good idea about what I'm doing on there. Very cool, brother. Well, I appreciate you coming on here tonight, man. Uh, you know, I know you had a day of work, but it was a very enjoyable conversation, man. I appreciate you having me. It's been a good time. Absolutely, buddy. And uh, I hope you have a great night, and uh, I'll hit you up later. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Take care. Cody Cannon Law. That's not his nickname, but, man, if he was a fighter, what a cool nickname would that be? Um, hopefully you're still tuning in. If you have, give us a subscribe, all that type of normal nonsense that people ask for. I feel like you're obligated to do that when you have a podcast. But, uh, yeah, leave us a review. You know, I appreciate it. And uh, we've got some more stuff coming up to you. I'm going to be on Riley's podcast tomorrow rilo's duck man i want to get the official i feel real bad riley right now i my phone is freaking locked up but rilo's podcast um tomorrow so make sure to tune in for that i'll share that as well and uh tune in until next week have a good